Families have a lot going on. Let Ollie help manage the mental load with new cognitive help supplements for everyone four and up, like delicious Lolly Focus Pops or Lolly Mellow Pops for kids. And for parents, try three new Brainy Chews to help you focus, chill out, or get energized. Find these cognitive health buddies for the whole fam at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. So glad you're with us here on the Clark Howard Show, where it's about you learning ways to keep more of what you have. So one note, Clark has talked for years about why it makes sense for people approaching retirement age to delay as long as they possibly can taking Social Security. And in large numbers, people take Social Security at age 62 thinking, hey, I got to get the money while I can, don't know how long I'm going to live, blah, 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 blah. And what happens is that you have then set yourself up to have a smaller Social Security payment for the rest of your life, which is fine if you don't live as long as you might like, but gets ugly if you live longer than you would expect. Because what you get up front is a much smaller monthly payment when you take it at 62 or 63, whatever, and then the rest of the way, all your adjustments happen off that much lower base. And that's what I've talked about through the years. And there have been people who have been very unhappy with me, obviously, because almost nobody waits till the last possible date, which is age 70. But right now, with what's going on with interest rates in the economy, Waiting to take Social Security is the most brilliant idea it's ever been. Unless you know you're uh, not in good health, your lifespan expectation is very short, you want to wait as long as you can between age 62 and 70 as you possibly can. Here's why. With interest rates as low as they are right now, you would be better off delaying Social Security and spending whatever money you have in savings than it would be to preserve those savings by taking Social Security early. The reason is, is that the increase you get every year you delay taking Social Security is so valuable and is much more than the effective amount that your money can earn that you have right now in savings or CDs, that it's better for you to deplete some of those savings if you need to, rather than to go ahead and take Social Security. Now, that is an additional factor that makes the argument even stronger for delaying when you take Social Security because of the Federal Reserve artificially holding down interest rates. Now, I know that for the most part, well, nobody's really going to listen to me about this, but I can certainly try because the return you get by waiting 
effectively the imputed return on your money is much higher than you're likely earning on your money right now, particularly if it's in savings or CDs. With stocks, well, who knows in terms of what the return would be like over the years between age 62 and 70. By delaying Social Security, though, it's a sure thing. And by the way, if you've already started taking payments at 62 and you say, why didn't you tell me this before now? If you're early in doing so and you can afford to, you can take money you do have earning basically nothing in savings, pay back Social Security what you've received, and then pick it back up later at a much larger benefit. That's a possible strategy you could use to turn back the clock on having accepted Social Security at an early age. It's time for your questions you posted for me at clark.com slash ask. Producers Kim and Joel alternate asking your questions. And Kim, who do you have to start with? This is from Tracy in Florida. Tracy says, after our insurance deductible is met, everything is 100% paid for. And this is health insurance, by the way. Back in May, my husband had a bone marrow biopsy at the hospital, which was in network, but the hospital sent the biopsy to a lab oh. outside of network. We had no control over this. Oh. Now we're being billed for over $2,000 in lab fees. The insurance company has denied my appeal and the hospital says, sorry, is this what's considered balance billing and what is my next step? Yes, and thank goodness more and more states are tackling this and I have a two-pronged strategy that takes you out of the normal box of how you deal with something like this. First, try to bring about change in your state because you and many others are suffering and this is going to be a twofer for you is you contact your find out who your state senator is and who your state representative is. Contact both of those people's offices Tell them the problem you're having and tell them that you went to an in-network facility and you're getting ambushed with an out-of-network bill that you had no control over. It's a problem they've heard again and again. You need to push this as an issue. Second, contact local television stations near you and they're always looking for uh, good stories where the Insurance companies, hospitals have been the bad guy, which obviously both share blame in this case. And you get on TV, let me tell you, that bill is going to vanish right before your eyes. And it'll also alert other people. The thing that's significant about what happened to you, there is nothing you could have done up front to prevent this ambush. And Shame on the hospital, shame on the insurance company, and the reality is this is one of those cases where there oughta, gotta be a law, and you need to be part of bringing a focus to it and attention. The more aggressive you are about this, the more likely you are to get your problem solved and maybe prevent this for other people. Let me know if you're able to get anything done on this. Joel? Clark Brandon in California says, I use a credit card for the company I work for to buy parts and supplies. 
The card has my name on it, and I use my name when I'm ordering online. The bill is sent to the company I work for. Does this card have any positive or negative effect on my credit? That depends. If the card is issued in your name by the company, that it's a master credit card agreement, and you are not liable for that, they did not rely upon your um, social security number, then it may not have any effect on you at all. On the other hand, if it's a dual responsibility, yours and the employer's, it affects your credit both positively and negatively. If your employer fails to pay the bill in a timely way, then your credit can be trashed. On the other hand, if they pay well, it reflects in your credit, it will potentially improve your overall credit standing and score. What you should do is get copies of your credit reports. You can do that for free right now at annualcreditreport.com. Don't get fooled into buying anything they try to sell you. And also set up a Credit Karma account. You'll be able to monitor your credit with two of the three bureaus whenever you wish. You'll be able to see if this is reflecting on your credit. Something very important whenever you're using a card for your employer's benefit and it's a card they supplied to you, you want to make sure you are not liable if the employer goes bust or the employer doesn't pay and you need to talk to the credit card company and find out if you have any liability for the bills that are generated on that card. Kim? Isaac in Washington says, I am a 19-year-old male looking to go to college, and I started filling out my FAFSA, hoping that I would receive a good amount of financial aid since my parents are both deceased. However, oh, I'm really sorry at 19, at you 19, lost both your parents. Truth. Um, There's a question on the form that he's struggling with. It says, how much do I currently have in my savings, checking, and in cash? Unfortunately or fortunately, I have an inheritance of $35,000 from my parents, but this is only me and it's all the money I have in this world. I don't think it's fair to count this money, which will undoubtedly go towards college anyway. So I'm curious what you think. Would I be punished if I move this money to a family member's account and then take it back after my FAFSA is completed? I wouldn't mess with things like that because that crosses a line into potentially criminal behavior. Stay away from that. The key in your situation as someone who's lost both your parents is for you to have direct conversations with the financial aid offices at the colleges that you would like to consider attending and explain your situation that your parents are deceased, you are on your own, and that can change the financial aid that a college offers you regardless of what is generated from your FAFSA. So your individual situation and circumstance would certainly at most schools be directly taken into consideration. The only other thing you could do with money is if you're working part-time is you could take some of the money and move it into a Roth IRA, which would not be considered assets that could be used for college. You could put in money this year, put in money January of next year, and that would modify how much money of the money you have would be considered money that you should be using for your education and in no way would violate the law. Joel? 
Clark Jerry in Georgia says, what's going on with retail stores? They claim they can't get change at the banks. Is the government trying to push us to a digital currency? No, it's because so many people like me are not using paper money right now. We're not going in physical stores. You know, everything I do is delivery or curbside pickup because of my health vulnerabilities. And so the normal amount of change that would circulate isn't there. It's all sitting in people's drawers at home. It's not a game they're playing. It's really what they're facing. This episode is brought to you by La Quinta by Window. Your work can take you all over the place, like Texas. You've never been, but it's going to be great because you're staying at La Quinta by Wyndham. Their free bright side breakfast will give you energy for the day ahead. And after, you can unwind using their free high-speed Wi-Fi. Tonight, La Quinta. Tomorrow, you shine. Book your stay today at LQ.com. John joins us on the Clark Howard Show. Hello, John. Hi, Clark. Thanks for taking my question. Certainly, John. You have... Something, and I hope there's no small children listening because you're about to issue a cuss word on our show. You have an insurance product called an annuity. <laughs> you did it. You cussed in front of these young children. <laughs> What's the scoop with it? So a number of years ago, I want to say 15 years ago, my grandparents decided to gift me some money, um, about $26,000, you know, 13000 a piece. And they specifically put it into an annuity. Um, so as I couldn't take the money out and spend it. Um, and I, at the time, I kind of had begged them not to put it in an annuity because even back then I knew it wasn't the best investment strategy. Uh, I wanted to either do something with real estate or, you know, put it into my regular retirement account. But they decided not to put it in there. So when I had finalized the paperwork um, a number of years back, um, the sales rep, you know, made it clear that I could never take the money out or touch the money. The only change I could make was a one-time date change on when the money was released. So um, I wanted to ask you if um, there was any way of taking the money out and putting it somewhere, or should I just leave it in there and, you know, thank my grandparents, you know, as a gift. They both have passed, so there's not anything they can do to change it. And I think the projected uh, distribution amount is 700 bucks a month after 45 years of growth. How old are you? That's good. I am 37. Okay. So, you know, an annuity, you don't cash out. The thing you can do, though, is you can move that annuity to someone else if there's a better annuity plan elsewhere, which may or may not be a possibility. Do you know what flavor of annuity you got all those years ago? I don't know. Okay, because annuities come in a variety of different types. So what I'd like you to do is, do you have access anywhere to the actual contract? Yes, I actually think I have that either saved or I can request it because I get monthly statements with my account number and all that stuff. So I could probably get the original contract. Right. So you want the contract itself because you want to know what is what's known as the surrender period, which Mm -hmm. is a period of time that you pretty much are a prisoner of whatever insurance company it was purchased from. And you may be in a position where you're able to move it to another company that would offer you uh, commission-free annuities. An example, Fidelity Investments, which you may have heard me talk about, has a 
a big operation where they sell annuities without all the costs baked into them that you have with traditional insurance companies. And okay. that would be a potential alternative is you can migrate the annuity to someone else. You'll also be able to see if it's what's known as a fixed annuity or an indexed annuity or what type of annuity it actually is. But if I were thinking um, what I would do if I were you, get that original contract almost certainly. You said it's 15 years old? Yeah, currently it's about 15. So you're almost with certainty outside of what's known as surrender, meaning you can move it to another company without any penalty. And you could do worse than going to meet with someone at Fidelity Investments who's an insurance specialist and see if they have something that would be uh, potentially a better alternative for you. The problem with annuities, the contract that they signed originally may be as many as 150 pages of gobbledygook. And working your way through that is not easy. But I want you to see what you can find out and figure out about the costs inside that contract, what you're actually earning in it. And I wish there was something I could tell you was a better thing to do than to remain in that annuity for the next, um, gosh, 22 years, but that not necessarily being with them, but being in an annuity for that time period is probably the right thing to do. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I appreciate you taking time out of your day to join me here on the Clark Howard Show, where it's all about your empowerment with knowledge so that you have more control of your wallet and your financial future. And that's the goal. That's what we're about. And so this is very different than pretty much any other talk show. This is all about you and me learning together as all members of the same team. And so you count on me to give you rock-solid, good advice and information that you can act on in your life. Well, when I don't deliver that, I need your feedback. I need to know from you when I haven't done a good job serving you. And that's why we have Clark.com slash ClarkStinks. You can go post where you feel I didn't give a good answer to somebody or I gave bad information or opinion And then weekly, producers Kim and Joel go through your posts on Clark Stinks and share their favorites with you right here on the show. I should have never encouraged you to speak. You must think I'm pretty stupid. You should be ashamed of yourself. Well, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe you're right, pal. All right, Clark, this week we are starting with Sarah, and Sarah thinks you stink because you give advice to freeze your credit and also advice to check your credit score through Credit Karma. 
but if you have your credit frozen, you can't join Credit Karma. Am I missing something? No, you're 100% right. You have to do a temporary thaw of your credit files in order to set up a Credit Karma account. You can do that very rapidly now as credit freezes and thaws have become much uh, more streamlined, much easier to set up, much easier to freeze and unfreeze and refreeze and blah, blah, blah. And so, yes, you do have to temporarily do a thaw. It can be for a day. It can be for a few days. And you set that up. Recently, after years and years of not applying for any credit at all, I decided to rotate, as you may have heard me talk about, to cash back credit cards from travel-related ones. And so I had to thaw my credit, and I was amazed how quick it was to do so for just a short window so that I could apply for the cash back credit card. Joel? Clark, this one's from Sean. He says, I love the show, but you were Pennywise, pound foolish, and completely missed the mark regarding the listener's question on the SEC investigation of Robinhood. I've worked in the commodities and securities business for almost two decades, and what Robinhood is engaged in is selling customer order flow. Number one, that should be made illegal. You glossed over this blatant rule violation of front-running customer orders as they are flirting with the rules. Are you kidding me? If a broker on filling a customer front ran an order... They would be fined or worse. In uh, payment order for, for order flow, Robinhood is selling the customer orders to firms who trade in front of those orders, giving the customer a worse price. I assume you think your listeners are trading 10 lots orders, but many are doing 1,000 lot and may get a dime worse because of this practice. You spent an extra $100 on the trade, but it's no commission or free. No, it's not. There's no free lunch on this, saving $7 on execution fee to lose 100 bucks. Plus, it's an illegal practice. I love your show, though. Thank you very much for that. And um, I attempted to explain the situation with Robin Hood recently on the show with why they're facing investigations from the SEC, among others, and the the execution money they're getting, uh, you know, for executing trades, is a problem. It's how Robin Hood partially has funded free trades, but they're not alone anymore. As the uh, poster perfectly pointed out, when you're doing very small trades with Robinhood, the uh, payment for order flow has very little impact on your wallet. But if you're getting really involved doing significant trades, you're better off with a traditional discount broker, most of whom have made trading free also, where you're not going to face the same issues involved with your orders to buy and sell things as you have faced with Robinhood. Kim? Derek says, you stink just a little bit, kind of like a big box store bathroom. Recently, he spoke. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. That paints an image, doesn't it? Yes, it does. Oh, my goodness. I can smell the smell. Yes. So he says, recently you spoke with a father who had an adopted foster child whose biological mother had stolen her identity. Oh, As a yeah, fellow adoptive parent, there is a much easier solution than what you propose to do to deal with the credit bureaus. Solution. 
Once she has a new birth certificate with her new legal name, which lists the adoptive parents, she is then eligible to apply for a brand new social security number. New social security number equals clean slate. Wow, I never knew that. I've never heard that. Uh, You know, it's so difficult normally to get a clean new social security number. And if that is something that benefits a child who's adopted, then that is an awesome solution. And I really appreciate the suggestion. You know, one of the hardest things with identity theft is how often it is what's known as acquaintance identity theft, where it's a family member or a friend. In this case, um, I guess you'd call it a, a former family member who was involved in the identity theft. And having a simple solution like you state is great. Joel? Clark Sherrod says, I'm a longtime listener and a big fan. In choosing an investment agent or intermediary such as Fidelity, you ask us to look at their cost as the only criteria. I've not heard you advising your listeners to look at their performance and return because that can make an even bigger impact on the bottom line. In other words, I would not mind paying someone more if he or she produces a better return. Choosing an agent or intermediary for my investment solely on their cost may be too simplistic. Is your advice based on keeping bigger masses in mind? I do realize past performance is no guarantee of future performance, but we all make many decisions based on past history. Sure, absolutely. And so the question you pose is a fascinating one because with investing, generally the lowest cost over time wins. That there's an economic theory known as reversion to mean that if you Uh, hire somebody or go to a firm that costs a lot of money to invest with them in commissions or in management fees versus going with a low-cost firm where you just throw your money into index funds, that in individual years or even in a three- or five-year period, it's possible that the higher-cost place will outperform. But over the long haul, low-cost virtually always wins. Now, there are people who, left of their own, will never get around to making financial decisions. And that can be a reason to be with a financial professional. But now you mentioned Fidelity. There are two main rivals, Schwab and Vanguard, all offer their own versions of providing advice, but at much, much lower costs than have been traditional in the industry. Kim? W.S. Allen says, there's recently been a number of questions regarding what to do with extra cash. In your answer, you run through the usual suspects of increasing your 401k, looking into an HSA, 529 plans, paying down debt. Stop the stink Ola and instead let the fragrance of fresh baked cookies permeate the show. Clark? You know that the fundamental building block of a solid financial future starts with having three to six months of living expenses stashed away in an emergency fund. I know that you do this yourself because I've heard you mention it, yet you do not start with this advice for your listeners. Start with the emergency fund and then explore the best use of leftover funds. I look forward to you smelling more like fresh baked cookies in the future, just so you know I like chocolate chip. Thank you. I like chocolate chip, too, but not with nuts, without nuts. 
So as far as whether I'm nuts with how I answer the questions, so here's the deal. My experience has been that the first best thing I can get people to do is to start putting money aside for retirement, even though classic personal finance would say the first thing you do is build your rainy day fund, your emergency fund. The reason I tilt towards that is my experience has been that the first goal is to get people building towards a habit. And it's easier to build towards saving money for retirement than it is to get people to build the rainy day. My experience is that if I tell people, you know, you should build up a rainy day account at a minimum three months of living expenses, it just doesn't seem to happen if there hasn't been that by rote habit of putting money aside and investing in the future. So yes, you are right. And if people didn't behave like so many of us do as human beings, you would be 100% correct. But I'm just going based on the experience of what I've learned over the years that people first need to have a methodical, automatic way to build up money, and it starts with retirement, before I can migrate them to building up that rainy day fund. Joel? Clark Richard says, you mentioned that Walmart.com has a button in their search to only choose items sold by Walmart and that Amazon should have such an option. Amazon does. I'm looking on the left side of the webpage and there are filters I can choose from, including who is the seller. Thank you for updating me on that. When I do order from Amazon, I tend to order on my phone and I've not found that capability on my phone, but I'm going to look again and then I'll look online to verify that it's as easy as you pointed out. I appreciate all your posts. Please, when you feel that I have made a mistake or given advice that you feel is wrong, share it with your fellow listener at clark.com slash clarkstinks. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Hey, listeners, whether you love true crime or comedies, celebrity interviews, news, or even motivational speakers, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue, right? And guess what? Now you can call the shots on your auto insurance, too. Enter the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. The Name Your Price tool puts you in charge of your auto insurance by working just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance. Then they'll show you a variety of coverages that fit within your budget, giving you options. Now, that's something you'll want to press play on. It's easy to start a quote, and you'll be able to choose the best option for you, fast. It's just one of the many ways you can save with Progressive Insurance. Quote today at Progressive.com to try the Name Your Price tool for yourself and join over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company & Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Deanna is with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hi, Deanna. How are you? Hi, Clark. Doing well. How are you? Great. Thank you. Deanna, you do some very important work to try to help families stay together. Share with your fellow listener what you do. Well, I'm new to this. I'm a visitation supervisor. Um, I, I basically pick up kids um, in foster care system or with a, maybe a caregiver, grandparent or something like that. And then I transport them to court ordered family visitations where I supervise the visit. So it's, it's pretty sweet to just be part of those little lives and kind of neat. 
Well, thank you for doing that. I know there are times that uh, it really aches at your heart when you see some of the situations that go on in families, but doing the best you can to keep these kids connected to their loved ones is great. How can I be of service? Well, um, being new to this job, I originally, um, my desire was to keep our personal assets separate from my business assets. Let's say I get in a car accident, um, maybe even no fault of my own, but, or maybe it is my fault and a family sues me or a parent or caregiver. Um, I just wanted to separate our personal assets from my business. So I set it up. I'm, I'm sorry, I'm an individual contractor. And so even though these are court ordered visitations, I work for a company that works with the state. So I contract with this private agency that takes these state cases. So as an independent contractor, well, let me you stop know, you for a second. A- the the uh, the firm that puts you to work doesn't protect you from liability. Correct. So I'm completely independent contractor. I just I, I have my own business. Everything. There is no um, protection from that middle company. It's a that's their own private business. It's a wow. husband okay. and wife, and that's their company. And they have about 52 contractors that work for them. And I'm one of them. So, um, so, you know, I have to pay. This job basically ends up not paying much. It's, it's, a, it's a sweet job to have. I'm enjoying it. We're our empty nesters. Our youngest is 21. And so uh, just new empty nesters. So, but anyway, <laughs> so, yeah. So, you know, I pay both the uh, employer and employee, Social Security, all that stuff. So on paper, the job does not, you don't make much money. But so anyway, um, I set up my business, my um, business as an LLC. And I was wondering, even though, I mean, this job just, it doesn't pay much. And, but again, that's not why I'm doing it. But at the same time, I want to be a good steward of, of what I'm making. If I, um, I'm an LLC right now, but if I were to reorganize as an S Corp, um, I'm not sure how to do that. I would make a dollar more per hour. Again, it's not going to make a big difference, but my, my LLC business license is about $200 a year. Um, and I'm not sure if there are any better tax benefits other than the extra dollar in pay. No, the um, main purpose of doing an LLC or an S-Corp, but in the situation you're in, you did the right thing doing an LLC. And the dollar an hour more you'd make being an S-Corp, uh, it would take you a while to make that up with organizing a new corporate entity and everything involved with that. So I'd wait a while, see if this really sticks with you. But one thing, the purpose of having the LLC is to protect your family assets. So who owns the vehicle or what owns the vehicle? Have you uh, titled the vehicle in the name of the LLC? No, the vehicle I've had, it's a hybrid Camry. It's six years old and it's in my name. Okay, so the vehicle should almost certainly be in the name of the LLC. So I should change that? Yeah, because if the whole idea is to try to create a liability shield for you, everything should be about you doing business as the LLC. If you're driving a car you own, and you, in the example you gave, you're in an accident, you're, you financially are held at risk, you have not done anything to eliminate personal risk with having the LLC because you're operating a vehicle that you own. 
Oh, thank you. Okay, so just go to my Department of Licensing and had just have it retitled with my business name. But first, what I would do is, you know, the laws are very specific state by state on this. I think it would be worth a phone call, even if you got to pay a billable half hour. I think it would be worth it just to find out, explain just as you did to me, find out if there's any particular precautions you should be taking to protect yourself. One of the things that might be suggested to you by a lawyer, and again, I'm probably overthinking this, but I want to protect you from the liability standpoint, is how you hold yourself out to people. Do you, uh, are you yourself or are you the LLC as you provide services? Which I know may sound weird, but that's why I'd like you to run this by a lawyer just to make sure that you are doing things in a way that provides the most protection to you. You're listening to The Clark Howard Show. Thanks for joining us today. The Clark Howard Show is produced by Kim Drobes, Joel Larsgaard, Deborah Reese, and Jim Ayers. And remember, 24 hours a day, we're there to serve you at Clark.com and ClarkDeals.com.